Well, why don't you open up your Bibles to Acts 2, 42 to 47. If you've got a hard copy, that'd be cool. Open up your hard copy. Uh, if you're using your phone, go on your phone. Well, I read from the ESV version. So if you've got an ESV, grab it out and we'll be in Acts 2, 42 to 47 today. It's going to be really cool. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in Woolworths um, hanging out, <clears throat> getting some food. And I saw a young person there that I used to know from back in the day. And I asked him how he was going. And he said to me, uh, terrible, man, I'm going terrible. And my heart sunk as I started thinking about, oh, has something happened with his family? Has something happened with his workplace? Has something happened with study? And then he said something that almost made me burst out laughing. He said, isn't Zoom terrible? And man, I like, I totally felt his pain on that. Like he, he goes to me, I've never ever hung out with my friends before and it's felt like a job interview where for two hours I have these 12 people staring back at me. I feel like I'm being judged. And it's so true, isn't it? That as we use these um, electronic means, it is so different that what's emerged in the culture today is what people are calling Zoom fatigue where they're so over this medium of connection. It's what's gripping millions of people across the world. And it's so interesting that while people are feeling lonely and people are feeling anxious and depressed and without support, they're also wrestling with the means by which they receive that support. So what are we supposed to do with these two paradigms where we have this, um, this rejection of technology? I'm so over it. And also this desperate need for community again. Well, we're starting a series today called uh, What the World Needs Now. And really the big question that we're asking is, what does the world need from you? What does the world need from me? And I want to put it to you that what the world needs right now from you, from me, from City Light South, from City Light East, from City Light Glenelg, is for the church to shine brightly, perhaps um, brighter than it has ever shined before, at least in our lifetimes, right? This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The contrast of what Jesus is giving here is profound. That um, his context is that the gospel goes out into a dark world. And that dark world is spiritually dark, desperately need of light. And Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And then he goes to be with the Father and now calls the church the light of the world. That it is our responsibility when the world is dark, and it is in many corners of the globe, that it's our responsibility to shine brightly, to reflect the light of Jesus to the world. We need to ask the question, what does that look like, right? So what we're going to do this morning is take aim at the first church, the first description of the church that we see in Scripture comes in Acts 2, Verses 42 to 47. And we're going to ask three questions. Question number one, what is the demeanor of this thriving church, right? That the Acts 2, 42, 47 church, 
was a thriving church. It was not an apathetic church. It was a flourishing church. So what was the demeanor of this thriving church? Secondly, what is this thriving church devoted to? And then thirdly, what is the driving force behind this thriving church? Our thriving church. What should be these characteristics of a church? Um, And I believe that this is going to help us out this morning. So let me pray briefly and then we'll get into God's word. Uh, God, we need you. We are desperate for you. Uh, We want to sit under the authority of your word so that you might grow us to be more like Jesus, so that we would reflect the love of Jesus to the world. So I just pray that as I preach that um, whatever glorifies you would stick, whatever is of the flesh would fall away and that you would receive all the glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So let's start. I hope you're taking notes with question number one. What is the demeanor of a thriving church? Well, what does demeanor mean? Demeanor means uh, a posture or attitude, right? Um, We all have a posture. We all have an attitude to the various things that happen in our life. I think about my, uh, I've got three boys. I think about my two oldest boys, the four and the two-year-old, my eldest boy, Jack. When he gets in trouble, his posture is of shame and embarrassment, right? His shoulders slump down. You can tell that he feels like um, he, he did something that he regrets. That's his posture. That's his attitude. My next boy, Tommy, ain't like that. Right, My next boy, Tommy, when he does something that's wrong, he's proud, man. His chest is up. His his shoulders are back. His attitude is of victory. All of us have a posture and all of us have an attitude. Well, the Acts 2 church had a posture and had an attitude that defined its demeanour. But first, what do we know about the Acts 2 church? We know that it was a young church. We know that it was a fragile church. Like all new communities, they take time to grow into strength. And we also know that it was a church under threat, right? So it's, it's young and it's fragile and it's under threat, right? Uh, it was against the law to worship any other Lord but the Lord Jesus, uh, but, but, but Caesar. And they were worshipping the Lord Jesus. So we've got some conflict here, right? Young, fragile, under threat, yet it flourished. So what is the demeanour of this church that Luke describes in the book of Acts? Well, the first word that marks the demeanour of this church is the word awe. Look down in your Bibles at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and Awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The early church was an awe-filled church. What What does awe mean? It really speaks about reverence and wonder, right? This this word awe uh, in Greek is the word phobos, where we get the word fear from. And fear today is this totally different concept than what we see in Scripture, When we think of things that um, bring you fear, we think of things that we should run from. I'm afraid of that. I should run from that. 
But in Scripture, when they talked about the fear of the Lord, they didn't speak about running from God. They thought about running underneath God, about submitting to God, about surrendering to God. To them, they saw God in His awe and His majesty and they had reverence for Him and they wanted to submit underneath Him. So something must have happened in the church that was producing this radical transformation of awe. And it's clear the reason why. Look down in verse 43. It says, Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God was at work. God was at work in their community. You see, there's a risk in our church, in our churches, there's a risk in City Light South that we can lose our awe for God when we stop fixing our eyes on all that God is doing. We see that we're restricted in how we can meet physically. We see that our comfort has been stripped from us. We see that our patterns and our rhythm of ministry has been taken away from us. And we can start to lose our awe from God or of God as we start being distracted by the things of this world. And we forget, we easily forget that in our church community, there are people who are being set, for, set free from sin. There are people who are joining discipleship groups. There are people who are planting churches. There are people who are growing to be more like Jesus every single day of our life. And that is an incredible move of God. Dead hearts becoming alive. That is not the result of flesh. Man can't do it. It is a result of the profoundness of God moving in the lives of his people. The world needs what the church has, a reason for joy beyond comfort, beyond the comfort of job security or dating people, to the joy of seeing God at work. That's what drove their awe. There is another word that describes the demeanour of the church. The first word is awe and the second word is thankfulness. Look down at verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. There was this profound sense of thankfulness. But friends, it wasn't because their preferences were being met. Because they weren't. It wasn't because the church community was a comfortable community to be in. Because it wasn't. It wasn't even because they had the freedom to go anywhere they want or say whatever they wanted to say, because they didn't. Because they knew that to proclaim anyone as Lord but Caesar could cost them their life. So what drove this thankfulness? Look down at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were thankful because eternities were changing right before their eyes. There were people that were joining their community where their eternal trajectory was headed away from the Lord. It was headed to darkness. It was headed to judgment. But God being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, 
By grace, we have been saved. And people's eternal, eternal trajectory pivoted towards being included in the family of God. And the people of God were so thankful. And they understood what Paul echoes in Colossians 2 when he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is what he has done for all of us. And this supernatural reality that they got to witness with their eyes is that, friend, if you're watching this feed now and you're not a Christian, you need to know that becoming a Christian means more than a ticket to heaven. It means that your eternal destiny begins now, right? When you become a Christian, your eternal destiny begins in that moment. So that I live life right now in light of that salvation, that I'm not included in the family of God because of my works. I'm not discluded from the family of God because of my works. I'm included by grace and I'm given an eternal family. I'm called a child of God, not by, not by my works, but by my grace. How is this possible? It's possible by faith and that is it. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross and nailed my sins and your sins to a cross so that we would be spared judgment, so that we might have peace with God. And that can start for you right now. Not uh, in the future, but your eternal destiny can be changed right now. And the people of God saw it in this church and they were thankful. The DNA of awe and the DNA of thankfulness. And so let's apply that to our context right now. Zoom fatigue, right? Um, what this tells me, a church community full of awe and full of thankfulness means that they aren't driven by the norm, by their routines. They're not driven by loving the norm. They're driven by loving their neighbour, right? That when you become a Christian, you are so... Uh, overwhelmed by the sense that God loved you even though you don't deserve it, that you want everybody else to hear. So jumping on Zoom, I tell myself, like, am I sick of Zoom? Man, the word Zoom are like nails down a chalkboard to me, right? But why do we persevere? Why are we going to persevere with social distancing to sit in a room 1.5 metres away from each other to go through this whole process? Because... God loved me knowing that I can give him nothing in return that he doesn't already have. And with this great love he gives me, I want to do the same thing for other people. That it's no big deal to extend myself for the sake of others and for the sake of his glory. And so we can create a community that's defined by awe and thankfulness because that's what the Acts 2 church were because they were completely motivated by the grace of God. That is the demeanour of an Acts 2 church and that can be our demeanour in City Light South and City Light East and every church everywhere. That's the demeanour of a thriving church. So let's ask the question, what is uh, the devotion of a thriving church? What should a thriving church be devoted to? Well, look down in your Bibles in verse 
42, it says, and they devoted themselves. Let's pause there. Uh, many churches are devoted churches. But the question we need to ask is, are they devoted to the right things? Maybe you've been part of a church that um, wasn't devoted to the right things. Maybe they were caught up in their comfort or had an ungodly love of tradition, right? Many churches can be devoted, but are they devoted to the right things? Well, here's the church that the writer Luke puts on display for us, um, describing the kind of church that we could be, right? It says, firstly, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know, one of my favorite things to do in my early 20s was to go to a, um, a buffet in uh, Ingle Farm called Settlers. And now, why did I like that buffet? I like it because I could pick and choose whatever I wanted to eat, right? I, I don't, I don't, I'm the guy that likes six hours old spring rolls. It's just who I am, right? I'd fill up my plate, fill up my plate again, and it was this disgusting, nasty food, and I loved it. Um, but what happened to me? What happened to me was that I uh, got fat and I got sick. Now, what happens when you uh, come to, um, uh, when you treat the devotion of a church like a buffet where you can pick and choose whatever it is that you want to be devoted to? Risk number one is that the thing that um, was benefiting you turns out to cost you greatly. And risk number two is that the thing that was benefit, benefiting you gets stripped away from you. We're living in a time in history where um, people are having their identity markers stripped away, that people uh, uh, got their identity from their workplace, that people got their identity from their relationships, who they're dating, who, 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 uh, uh, people got their identity from um, the amount of income that they were bringing in, and all of these things have been stripped away. And so we're asking ourselves, where do we get our hope from? Where do we get our identity from? And the early church decided this, I'm not putting my hope in this world. I'm putting my hope in the teaching of God given through the apostles. I'm putting my hope in not what the world has to say is hope for me. I'm putting my hope in what the Lord has revealed through Scripture. And this is what they found. They found that His grace is sufficient for us. That I don't need to pretend to be strong that I can admit my weaknesses, that I can be vulnerable to you, right? And know that in my weakness, the glory of God is going to shine. They turned to God's word and they found that while we were still sinners, God died for us. That You don't need to work your way to salvation. You receive it by faith that comes to you as a gift of grace. They opened the scriptures and they saw that um, they could do all things through Christ who gives them strength, right? That in the midst of suffering, that the Holy Spirit is there, that the Holy Spirit is the great comforter, that the Holy Spirit doesn't abandon you. If you don't know Jesus, then you need to know being devoted to the apostles' teaching isn't to rob you of joy. It is to bring you joy. That in Scripture, we see these commands and we often see commands as this box around us trying to restrict us. But actually commands are like directions that say um, hope and hope in all of its fullness is that way. 
Life and life in all of its fullness is that way. Don't go that way. That's the joy of being a Christian is that you don't need to put your hope in things that could cost you later down the road. You can put your hope in Jesus today and have your eternity changed, not just in the future, but right now. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and they were devoted to the fellowship. Look down in verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, the situation that was happening in Jerusalem is very specific. Um, Jews were coming to Jerusalem to pray at the temple. And some, of, some Jews did this as a once-in-a-lifetime event. They would travel many miles and to get there, they would need resources. So they would take their whole um, household, they would pack everything together and they would travel with everything on them to the temple and they would sell it when they got there so they might have resources to be able to make it back home. But what was happening is that people were going to Jerusalem and becoming Christians. And when they became Christians, they would sell their resources to be able to last there as long as they could. And um, uh, then they would run out of resources. And they would turn to their brother. They would turn to their Christian sister. And everyone was selling everything that they had so that everyone could be supported. What does that mean? It means that they were looking around at their fellow brothers and sisters and saying, if you have a problem, then I have a problem. If you have a win, I have a win. If you have a need, that's my need too. I'm going to bear the weight of your problems and your challenges together. Why would they do this though? Right? Why would they extend themselves in such a way? You know, um, one of the scariest days in, our, in all of our lives is the first day at a new school. So we go to a, um, uh, go to a new school. I remember this for me. I, I went to this primary school and I came in halfway through the year and communities had already been formed. Communities had already been established. And um, it was like a scene in a movie, right? Like I rock up to the principal's office. They give me this reluctant uh, student who's going to take me through the school and show me where the gym is and here's the toilets and here's the playground. And as we're walking through, I can see like these are the, like, these are the jocks, the sporty guys. Um, these are like the nerds. Um, these are the punkers, all these different groups. But what, what really defines those community groups are things that eventually fade away, right? Like you become friends with people in school and then once... Um, that once school is over, many of those friendships fade away. Become friends with people at workplaces and when you change workplaces, um, then those friendships fade away. So what is different about um, the communities of, in the world and the community in the church? It's that our community is not defined by culture. Our community is defined by Christ, right? That what unites us together is not an interest group. What unites us together is a family. That when you joined, when you accepted by faith this free gift of salvation, you joined the family. 
and your problems became my problems. Where we would say together that we bear the weight and burden of your problems and my challenges and we do it all together. That's what fellowship is. That's what real community is. The early church said, I'm going to inconvenience myself for the sake of your welfare. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. So we can love one another as he has, as he has loved us. This is, what the, um, this is what Luke in this book of Acts really prescribes for the local church. We, we need to see this difference between description and prescription. I think I've been saying description uh, when, I, when I meant prescription, right? That in uh, narratives in the Bible, there is information that is described. It's just telling you how things were, but it's not necessarily telling you how things should be in the future. Where Luke is actually setting up a prescription, right? Saying this is what your church should be like. You should be devoted to the apostles' teaching. You should be devoted to fellowship with one another. That is the kind of church that the Lord is so pleased to bless. Uh, so pleased to bless. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to one another and to the ministry of remembrance. It says that they were devoted to the breaking and bread and prayer. This is what it says in Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Did you know that when we gather as the church and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God, you're not just doing it for your relationship with God, you're actually doing it for you and for the people around you. Listen to this verse again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, there are people that will be in our gathering here this morning who have a relationship with God that is on fire. They're a cup overflowing, right? Their, their life is filled with worship. They wake up singing. That is not everyone's experience in uh, your church community. That is not everyone's experience in our church community. And so what we do when we gather together is that we sing gospel truths to remind the people around us of the faithfulness of our God, that we are children of the Father, that we are adopted completely into the family, that once we are saved, we are always saved. Once we are children of God, we are always his child. We sing not just for our benefit, but we use this ministry of remembrance for the sake of the people around us. That's why the Bible says that we should not forsake our meeting together because of this ministry of reminding everyone that we serve a faithful God. We serve a God who loves us. We serve a God full of grace. We serve a God full of mercy. And it's right to be remembering that as we lose jobs, perhaps, or relationships break down or our social commitments fall away. We know that our identity is secure because we are a child of God. We are a child of God. Now, you might be saying, Carl, this sounds like a whole lot of work. Or thankfulness, devotion, 
the apostles teaching to one another, how am I going to maintain the fuel to keep that going? Well, let's ask the question, what is the driving force behind a thriving church? Well, we need to go back to uh, prior to Acts 2 and we're going to look at Acts uh, 1 verses 4 and 5. You know, um, when uh, my wife and I first started coming to City Light, we had a really clear plan of how this church plant was going to go, right? Um, we came to this church one Sunday, just I guess just as guests. The next day I started work. The following Sunday, uh, we got introduced to the church. And then the next Tuesday, COVID hit. All services were shut down. Um, I couldn't meet anyone. I couldn't get to know anyone. And I didn't know anyone, right? Our plan out the window. The driving force of the mission and ministry in my life could no longer be the plan. And it really never should have been anyway. The driving force in your life should never have been the plan. You know the plan that the disciples got? The plan didn't fuel them. The plan terrified them. Do you remember the plan? The plan was take the gospel into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you know those locations? Jerusalem, where they killed Jesus. Judea and Samaria, where they hated Jews to the ends of the earth, which they understood to be Rome, the place where they were killing Christians, right? That's the plan. You might think that that's a terrible plan. At the very least, we can say that that's not what fueled them. So we need to ask, what did fuel this church to be a thriving church that God was so pleased to bless and, and, and what will be the fuel that will sustain us to love, us, uh, love other people, even when it's difficult and challenging? Well, the answer to that is, is that the fuel for our church, for your church, for, really for Jesus' church, is the promise of the Father for the person of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father for the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what Acts 1 verses 4 and 5 say. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What we know is that the Holy Spirit uh, came and filled his church that the Holy Spirit became the fuel for the church. The Holy Spirit transformed lives and empowered missions, saved generations. And if you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit lives in you. I once heard a pastor say that if the Holy Spirit was to leave, uh, uh, leave all the churches in Australia, 90% of them would carry on and completely not even noticing the disappearance of God from their church. You can lose your building but still be a church if you have the Holy Spirit but if you lose the Holy Spirit you can have the best building in Australia and God will not be pleased to shine his face upon you. I believe God is calling the church to persevere, to bring him glory and to 
be the light of the world and the hope of the world, but it is going to take the right fuel. It is going to take the right fuel. And I, I uh, believe that some of you this morning um, might be uh, considering yourself running on empty, right? Running on empty and dragging yourself um, over the finish line. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I literally ran out of fuel, right? Um, I was driving home and um, I don't know if you ever played that game with your fuel gauge where you're on empty and you see how long you can string it along for. Well, I was playing that game and for 20 years, I think I've won that game every time. Um, but this time I, um, I was driving and I could see the petrol station. I could see the petrol station. But the problem was, was that I was at the bottom of a hill going up, not at the top of a hill going down. And so I ran out of fuel and I, got, I glided uh, about 15 metres and, um, and I had to pull my car over and I had to run and go and get a jerry can and fill it up and then bring it back to my car and realise that I needed more than a jerry can's worth of fuel for the way that my car was positioned. It was so frustrating, Right? It was so frustrating. And why was it so frustrating? It wasn't frustrating because fuel's not available. It was frustrating because I thought that I could do it on my own. Right? I thought that I didn't need fuel, that I could test the fuel gauge. And some of you this morning, that as you think about your own life and your families and the people that you're on mission with and your workplaces, um, some of you are running on empty and thinking that you just need to do it on your own. And God's word to you would be that the fuel of, he of healthy churches, which is the fuel of God's people, God's children, your fuel, is the person of the Holy Spirit. Friend, you were never supposed to do it on your own. What the world needs right now are not Christians who claim strength, it's Christians who point up, who say it's all because of him, all because of his strength, all because uh, our God and Father has saved us and not abandoned us, but is actually right here with us. Now, I want to say to you this morning that as we go into this series where we're thinking about what the world needs now, that that might just feel like a tired topic for you, that you're saying, what does the world need now? What about what I need now? Well, the truth is, is that you have a God who is more than enough for you. A God who loves you, who longs to comfort you, who longs to fuel you. But the truth is, is that you can be resistant to that fuel. You can say, I just want to do it on my own. I want to do things my own way. And the truth is, is that you will Live this life in such a way that God did not intend you to live. That the problem is not that fuel is not available. The problem is that you want to do it on your own and you don't need to, friend. And I want to finish this morning by, um, before we worship, um, by praying for you that the Holy Spirit would fuel you, that you and your heart would be willing to um, repent and to say, Lord, I've been trying to do it on my own and I don't want to do that anymore. 
and that you would trust the promise of 1 John 1 9 that when you um, confess your sins that God will be faithful and just to forgive and he will and the Holy Spirit will comfort you through the person of the Holy Spirit working in your own life when working in the lives of the people around you. And that's the way that God has designed you to flourish for the sake of those people in the world. God is alive. God is well. God is for you that you might grow to be more like Jesus. And he will make a difference in your life. Let me pray for you now. Uh, God, I just want to pray for um, the people in this church community that might recognize that they are running on empty. I pray that you would help them see that the, um, that the fuel is available, that the person of the Holy Spirit is available. And so may they turn to you in this moment. May they turn to you and ask that you would fill them, that you would guide them, that you would lead them in such a way that it would bring you glory and they might rest in your peace, that they might, that they might find assurance in who you are. So God, I pray that what the world needs now would be this church, this church who is the light of the world, who is, um, has the right demeanour, who is devoted rightly, who is fueled rightly, so that they can make an impact in this world, not out of their own strength, but out of their own weakness. And they are fueled by you. May you get all the glory. May the story of City Light South not be that any one person or one strategy is the way to build a church, but may it be all about you and all about your glory. Pray these things in your name. Amen.